Hello, everybody, and welcome to Commercial Real Estate Bosses, where we interview badass investors who are crushing it in the commercial real estate space. I'm your host, Sierra Hoffman, and on today's call, we have Rhea Tobin. Rhea, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you, Sierra, for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you on the show. And first off, I'd like to learn more about your story. So tell us about your background. What did you do before and how did you get into commercial real estate? I mean, my background basically was 20 years working for the defense industry, uh, doing program management and business operations, uh, started out in contracts. So that's kind of how I took all of that kind of experience and transitioned it when I decided to move into real estate in 2017. Uh, well, I actually started a couple of years earlier purchasing land, uh, mm -hmm. but then I found a program uh, through Facebook about purchase. I was looking at a couple of different things, but I found one about purchasing apartments. And yeah. I, so I went to a you know three-hour presentation and really thought it was a great idea. Um, I'd been interested in real estate, but really had no idea how to do it without a boatload of money, which I didn't have. Right. So, you know, this was kind of showing me how you could do it um, and putting syndications together. So I really thought that was a great idea. So I signed up then, and now it's five, six years later now. I've got five properties, uh, 20 million uh, under assets under management. Nice. Um, and working to grow even further. So um, in the beginning, Perfect. I started out doing working full-time still. So only until yeah. about a year and a half ago, I was doing a full-time job and the real estate. So it's uh, about a year and nice. a half. I was, sold my house in California. I mm -hmm. moved to Florida, and nice. now I do this full-time. That's exciting. Yeah, it's a good place to be. I'm in California right now, but the plan is to move out of here in a few years uh, as soon as the kids turn 18. So that's <laughs> a good plan to, go. <laughs> to get out of um, this state and move to a more landlord-friendly state where we can start to invest. So tell me more about your portfolio. You said you have five properties. How many units is that total? It is just under 200. A couple of them are under 100, and then the one is just mm -hmm. at 100. So between the, the couple of them, actually, no, that's got to be 300. Sorry. I'm count. I got to learn how to count. <laughs> it's going to be 300 units now. 300 units. Great. And so um, you said about a year and a half ago, you were able to quit your job. And so now you're just doing this full time, correct? Correct. Yes. And enjoying awesome. every day that I can make my own schedule every day. That's a good thing. That's the dream. And I think that's what a lot of our listeners are trying to accomplish themselves. They want to leave their W-2 and become a full-time syndicator. And for every person, I feel like the number of units to get there seems different. So how many units did, it, did you need in order for you to be able to quit your job and do this full-time? Well, ultimately, when I first did my business plan, I thought it was going to take probably closer to 500 uh, the only reason I could do it a little bit earlier is because the market is so hot in real estate and, mm -hmm. you know, I selling my house, uh, you know, gave me a, a nice little cushion and then moving to a state that has no taxes also helped to give me a cushion. So between mm -hmm. those two things, I was able to not have to get a job when I got here and just do this full time. I love that. Yeah. So some people don't even think about these kind of changes that can change their lifestyle um, and their you know, net income at the end of the month. So quickly, just moving to a new state is going to have you give you more money in your bank account at the end of the month because yeah, so less taxes. California is such a high tax state. So it was a big difference. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I was in Florida just this couple days ago 
um, and gas is two dollars a gallon less than it is here in California. So we're paying five twenty nine, and it was only three twenty nine in in uh, Florida. Yes. So, <laughs> so just and little things like that add is up. High for here, so exactly. Know, talk to Florida, Floridians. <laughs> like, oh my God, I wish the gas prices would go back down. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so. Trust me, I'm I'm looking to move out of this state soon as possible as well. So tell me more about your why. Why did you get into real estate? What was the, the reason you got into this business? Well, I think when I first decided that I wanted to leave my W-2, I unfortunately was um, after 15 years with the same company, I got laid off pretty unceremoniously. A uh, day after I got back from vacation, I got told I didn't have a job in 30 days. Oh, no. um, and that was just after I helped them successfully complete a program and, you know, that they were about to lose. You know, when they brought me in, they were about to lose the program because they were not managing it well. And so I worked really hard over mm -hmm. the two and a half years that I was on that project to, you know, make sure that they got it completed. And here we go. We get it completed. The customer's happy. And then literally like a month later, I got my notice that I didn't have a job in 30 days. So, you know, I, at that time I was like, okay, I've got to do, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be giving my heart and soul to another mm -hmm. company only to have this happen again. But right. I also had no idea what to do. Um, I was going, you know, cause I'd been doing this for 20 years, basically almost the entire time after college, I was mm -hmm. doing this type of work. So I really didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, the only I, real estate piqued my interest, partly because I I've done well in real estate myself, just on my own personal assets. And when mm -hmm. I bought my first townhouse, when I lived in Virginia, I knew in 2007, I needed to sell it because I knew the economy was not going to last and a year later, it did not last. So, you know, I did well in that. I just have kind of had like a, a decent sense of what's going on with the economy and, you know, mm -hmm. how that will impact real estate. So, you know, I just started attending a number of different seminars and what do I want to do? And 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 it, it wasn't all about real estate. There were a couple of other things when I was just trying to figure out what to do next. And the real estate hit home as something that I felt like I could do. And then ultimately, as I grow my business, I want to start a foundation too, to help kids that are in need. Um, I've always, I've served on a board that helps kids that are been abused, you know, kind of help them get on their feet so that they can get out of the foster care system. So ultimately that's kind of like my bigger, bigger why, you know, yeah. getting out of the W2 is great and having some, my own independence, but I really do want to start that foundation too. So. I love that. I think once we get to a certain level, our why starts to change, right? It starts to become, well, not just leaving my W-2, now it's about giving back and doing these bigger kind of projects um, in our community. So I love that you're thinking of those bigger reasons as well. I think both of those like, strike both of my passions. You know, for better or worse, I don't have any children of my own, so I'm not trying to like have that long-term future, but that's also why, you know, helping kids in need mm -hmm. is really a, a big thing for me, so... Absolutely. Now, I want to dive into more about, you know, what your involvement was in your your current deals, how you found them, that kind of thing, because I feel like, you know, for some people, you know, they won't quit their job until they have maybe a thousand units, 1500, 2000, like a big number. And it seems like your number is smaller. So I'm assuming it's because you've been maybe have a bigger piece of the pie on your on your current deals. So tell me more about how you were able to find those first few deals and, you know, what kind of your role is in those ones. 
Well, let's get it kind of to set the stereo. I don't know that I have a bigger percentage of deals. I just, uh -huh. when I first started this, said, you know, what's the least amount of money I need to make to be able to leave my W-2? Because I really yeah. just wanted out of the W-2. So mm -hmm. I was figuring out, you know, just minimum amount. And when you talk about, you know, asset management, the acquisition fee and all of that good stuff, I felt yeah. like at 500, you know, units, I could do that. So, um, but, you know, my I've got... Let's see, on my first deal and my second and third, which were, or my third and fourth, which were a portfolio, I was the one that found both the deals or all mm -hmm. three of them, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, I did the analysis. I worked with the brokers, negotiated prices, did the LOIs, all of that good stuff, um, and then worked on, you know, the due diligence and everything else to get us to close. Um, so that's really kind of my strength. On all of my deals, I've also been in, involved in asset management after the fact, Mm -hmm. um, as a former program manager, I'm really detail oriented and I kind of, everything is on my calendar and drives my schedule. So I yeah. usually am pretty good at making sure that things are getting done on time. So as kind of just both between those two things, it falls into the things that my, are my strengths. That's awesome. I think that's the a difficult thing for like new investors. Most investors or a lot of them, I would say they start off by raising capital for other people's deals. They don't know the first thing about how to do all the deal analysis and everything that you've just mentioned. So how did it, how long did it take from the time you signed up for, you know, that the three hour workshop or the three day workshop until you got your first deal? What was the, the time lapse between that? Well, it actually did take me a while, but mine is kind of a bit of a funny story. So I didn't close it until I was in the, for two years, but the deal that I did close was actually one of the first deals I ever analyzed. Because oh. I analyzed it, I submitted an offer. They said, this is too low. So, you know, I tried to negotiate at that time and they just wanted way too much money and the numbers didn't work. So mm. I walked away from the deal yeah. and a little over a year later, it was still on the market. Oh, so, wow. you know, the broker who brought it to me said, you know, would you like to take a look at it again? I says, you know, if the owner or the seller's gotten, you know, a little more realistic about what his property is worth, I'm happy to take a look at it. Nice. So then I put in an offer and got it accepted the second time. Perfect. That's exciting. So, yeah, so it took a while, but um, the first deal you analyzed, there was like a year gap before the, the seller realized, oh, I need to come down on my price. Yes. <laughs> so, and nice. in between that, I was analyzing tons of deals, but, you know, between yeah. 2017 and 2019, the market was getting hotter and hotter every you know, mm -hmm. all the time. So it's just very hard to find deals where pen the numbers penciled out. So, I mean, I think during that time, I probably easily mm -hmm. two year period submitted 20 or 30 LOIs. Just oh, wow. then I made the BAFO a number of times, but yeah, just did nothing seemed to get, get me to the end. So, <laughs> first, you know, that first deal did. So, yeah. Um, I love that story because I, I think a lot of our listeners need to hear that it takes a while sometimes to get into your first deal and you have to be persistent and not give up after six months or even a year and just keep, you know, analyzing deals, keep submitting LOIs until once you get that first deal, then the second and third deal comes shortly after that. Is that what happened for you? It does because partly when you go out there and you tell everybody you just closed on a deal, all of those brokers who were kind of blowing you off because they mm -hmm. didn't think you could do it are now, oh, she can close the deal. So, you yeah. know, not only are you getting the brokers that you just closed the deal with bringing you more, but even mm -hmm. the other brokers that, you know, were not really active with you now are starting to send you deals too. So it definitely yes. works out. <laughs> 
And, you know, speaking of the market, um, you know, when you were analyzing deals back then, the market was really hot. You know, we're into 2023 now. I feel like now we're going back in the other direction. So has your uh, deal analysis, your investment strategy, has it changed at all in the current environment? Well, it's changed from the perspective. I've always been a little more on the conservative side, so I've never been a person that was big on bridge loans and, and any of the adjustable rate interest, which is part of the reason I think a lot of my mm -hmm. offers didn't go in because I just wasn't offering that max amount of money, you know, just because the risk I felt was too high. Mm -hmm. But from the perspective of, you know, how much I'm willing to offer now, I'm not as concerned about just pushing it to the limit I want to really find that number that meets the sweet spot. Um, so I've been definitely coming down a little bit on my, you know, my pricing just because I know that I can't, because I really want to hit that target of, you know, 20 to 22%, where for a while there, I was mm -hmm. down at around 18% ARR. So I'm not pushing the, the pricing to get, you know, I want to stay at that 2022 mm -hmm. now, which I'm still getting, you know, a number of LOIs, at least in getting into BAFOs. So I know that the next deal is just around the corner again. So nice. Can you walk me through maybe one of your deals could be a you know particularly difficult one, maybe even your first one, and just kind of walk us through um, in in detail. You know how you found it. Who did you work with in order to get the deal done? What did you like about the deal? What you didn't like? That kind of thing. Well, probably my most difficult one was my first one, just because I had really didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I had a partner at the time, you know, that I was working with. She was also looking in the same area. It was in Kentucky or it is in Kentucky since yeah. we still own that. But, you know, I really didn't, you know, I thought I was comfortable with the analysis, but for, I didn't know for sure. I mean, you always think, you know, you've done the training, you're, you're doing that. But at the mm -hmm. time I didn't have a sponsor. So there really wasn't like a mentor for me. Mm -hmm. So that kind of had a little bit of nerve wracking, but you know, we're, I had a broker bring it to me. So it was, it was an on-market deal and it was a third party, like a broker that I had been talking to brought it to me, but it was actually listed by another broker. So there was all of the extra challenges of two different brokers in the, in the mix, a mm -hmm. seller that really didn't want to be selling, you know, the property at the price that it was getting offered. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, unfortunately, this the woman was, married and her husband now had dementia and it was his property. So she's trying to like take care of the property. She's trying to take care of him. So there's mm -hmm. just a lot of added emotional stuff on her side and a little bit on my side because I just felt really bad for her and that she was in this situation. But at the same time, I knew that I needed to make the numbers work. So, mm -hmm. you know, when we got the accepted offer, we went out and did the inspection. We found some foundation issues came up. You know, and as my first deal, I was a little on the panic side going, oh, God, this deal isn't going to work. There's foundation problems. And, you know, I actually had some of the people that I was training with, you know, go just step down, take a deep breath. These are all things that can be fixed. None of it is like, you know, something that's going to kill the deal. You just have to, you know, remain calm. So it did take us about six months to close the deal because we had to negotiate, you know, a credit back to get the, these things fixed. Um mm -hmm. And ultimately, though, we did close the deal, obviously. And and then six months later, COVID hit. So <laughs> it was like, okay, one thing into the next. But, you know, the property is doing so great now. It's cash flowing really well. So mm -hmm. I, I'm just grateful, you know, grateful that I hung it in there and kept it going um, because it's just doing really well. And so did you do that first deal without a sponsor or were you able to find a sponsor 
during that process? I found a sponsor after I had already submitted an LOI. So mm-hmm. it kind of was making me a bit nervous that I wasn't finding somebody because it's in a tertiary market and a mm-hmm. lot of sponsors don't want to be in tertiary markets. So mm-hmm. I did find somebody and he came in and helped us, you know, as far as getting the loan complete, which was great. And now um, any piece of advice you'd give somebody who is new to the business and wants to get started getting into multifamily today? Yeah, well, obviously persistence. I mean, I'm without a doubt uh, the example of that. I mean, if you really want to do this, it's not very few people do get a deal in like that first three to six months. In fact, I don't mm-hmm. know too many that have. I'm not going to say nobody does. But most of the people I talk to, it's easily a year to two years out before they get a deal closed. So you just have to under, know that this is what you want to do and be willing to keep working at it because you will get there. If you follow like the training mm-hmm. you're taking, again, I would highly recommend training. I wouldn't recommend. I know there's a lot of people out there who are trying to just kind of wing it, uh, yeah. reading some books and stuff. But from my perspective, the training helped save me a whole lot of time in in avoid a lot of mistakes I could easily have seen myself making by not, you know, having it. So, you know, I followed the training, kept it and knew that it was just gonna, it was just a matter of time. So just keep on going. But that's like my big thing. Um, other than that, I mean, what I, cause I do do some coaching for the program that I got my training through. Mm -hmm. Um, so I tell my students, you know, if, if analysis isn't your strength, you know, there are a lot of YouTube videos that just kind of walk you through how to do an Excel spreadsheet. And and then between that and if you take the actual deal analysis training um, and then I, as their coach, I'm there to like make sure, you know, send it to me. I'll take a look at it and I'll definitely provide you feedback. So but I do see a lot of people coming in more doing the capital raise first. Um, mm-hmm. But I was a spreadsheet girl from day one. So that's yeah. definitely my strength. So. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a few ways, different ways you can get into the business. And I agree. A lot of our podcast guests, they come in and the ones who have taken a mentorship program always recommend, even the ones who haven't, they're, they're say the same thing. Like if you can afford to get a mentor, get one because it's just going to save you so much time and money and just get you there that much quicker. So tell me about what you're working on right now and what's next for you. Well, I just closed on a couple of deals in the fall of last year, so I was kind of taking a little bit of a break over the holidays, Um, but I did get a couple of deals brought to me. One, unfortunately, did not work out, although it's still still on the market, so it may come back again like the other one did, but um, I've got an LOI out there right now that if they've tentatively accepted the the position they're in is the um, Mm -hmm. seller had decided to do a refi. And so that we're waiting for them to lock in their rate, but they do want to sell it and they just want me to assume the refinance. So as long as that all works out and they don't come back with some crazy demand for a huge price that just doesn't work, I'm Mm -hmm. hopefully going to keep my fingers crossed that I have an LOI, accepted one in maybe the next couple of weeks. Nice. Now tell me about some um, just kind of guidance on stats that you know, a new investor should be following if they're analyzing deals like you are, you know, how many brokers should they be communicating with on a regular basis in their certain market? Um, How many LOIs should they be planning to submit on a weekly or a monthly basis? Um, How many deals should they be analyzing um, in order to close on, you know, a reasonable number of deals? I would say three or four max per year is usually what people can expect to close on in a year. 
I think four is four is great. I don't know if it depends. If you've got a t whole team already set up, four is definitely mm -hmm. an achievable goal. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I'm just looking right this year to you know close on two more deals. So in the first half mm -hmm. of the year, I'd like to close on one, and the second year, the second one. Mm -hmm. Then maybe as I build my team, then I can start going into three or four. And you know, it, you know, a lot of things also depend on what goes on with the economy right now. If you don't have to sell, people are pulling their deals off of the market because the interest rates have gone up, mm -hmm. which push the cap rates up and all of that good stuff. So um, there's, there's a lot less inventory out there. But as far as how many brokers, I think in the beginning, it's a challenge because when you're new, most of the brokers don't even want to spend any time with you until you've got a proven track record. So if you can mm -hmm. find you know, one or two even that will just bring you deals and then I always look on Crexy because that's all the deals that are, you know, out there that aren't, you know, be solely being managed by one, you know, broker. So they, they're open for everybody else to, you know, come and take a look at. And so mm -hmm. you get that opportunity to analyze those deals and put in offers as well. But if you've got one or two brokers that you can just be in touch with in the beginning, and like I said, once you get one deal closed and you put out that announcement to all those brokers who kind of blew you off in the beginning, then they all are like, oh, they know how to close a deal. They can do that. And then they're all around bringing their deals. So then I would definitely, you can ramp that up to easily, you know, three, four, five that you're in touch with pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. um, but LOIs, I would say in a given month, you definitely... You know, if you're doing it with a full-time job, I would say you definitely want to at least make sure you're putting in two to three a month. But if you're able to do this full-time, then mm -hmm. two to three a week is definitely, a, you know, a doable thing. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you're, you know, once you get, you know, and that takes easily, you know, 10 or 15 deals that you're analyzing that you're just not even going to put in an offer because the numbers don't work at all. So, yeah. you know, you've got to analyze a lot of deals to narrow it down to, it. you know, like I said, two or three a month or even two or three a week you know, LOIs. And then from there, it's a BAFO round most of the time to a final offer. So mm -hmm. it takes a lot before you get a, a, an actual accepted deal. So what percentage would you say is, or what ratio is it from number of deals you analyze to the amount of LOIs that you send out? So an LOI, I would say maybe you want to be doing two or three LOIs for every 20 you analyze. Okay. So about a 10%. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for being on the show today. I loved being able to chat with you, Rhea. Where is the best place for people to find you online if they want to learn more about you? Well, I have my website. That's rmtequitypartners.com. I also have out there a webinar that I have that's, you know, it's, I set it up for prospective investors and also other people just to get to know a little bit more about me, you know, my backstory, what I'm doing, the types of deals I'm looking at. Um, mm -hmm. So when you go into my website, you can just forward slash and type in webinar and that gets you access to a free webinar and you can just learn more about me and my story and what I'm doing. So, and then I'm Perfect. happy to set up calls with anybody that wants to just talk and get to know me a little better. So. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to include links to that in the show notes below. So thanks everybody for tuning in today. If you guys enjoyed today's show, please write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Every review helps us to reach more and more people looking to get involved in commercial real estate. Thank you, Sierra. Today's show was sponsored by Synergy Capital Investments. To download your free multifamily investment guide for beginners or to schedule a call to learn about our upcoming investment projects, go to thrivewithsynergy.com. That's thrivewithsynergy.com or click on the link below.